Hi, Word Serve Nation. This is Pastor Bill. Again, thank you for joining us on this online worship experience. As I look at the world, as I mentioned before, there are so many voices and there seems to be such momentum generating towards hatred and division and all these things that, that Christ never envisioned for his followers. At the same time, I become increasingly convinced that we who believe in Jesus have an answer that this world desperately needs. The question is, how do we make the answer known and how do we get people to buy into that answer? Well, we're in the middle of a sermon series that is designed to do just that. It's called Just Like Jesus. My premise is, if you look at the top, this is the world without Jesus. We seem to be going in some direction, but it is so convoluted and we can get so confused that we may never make it to that finish line. And if we do, it's by pure chance or accident. On the other hand, when we introduce Jesus into our lives and the people around us, yes, there are bumps and starts and there are ups and downs and twists and turns, but ultimately Jesus, just Jesus, can take everything and work it together for good and move it on towards a purpose that glorifies God. Now, here's the trick to this whole sermon series. If you didn't see last week, uh, you would think that we would be studying the life of Jesus, uh, lessons from the gospel, his interactions with people. In reality, we're studying the book of Philippians. And the reasoning is that, yes, it's hugely valuable to study the historical Jesus. Yes, his teachings are wonderful and amazing, but what's going to make the difference in the world today is how Jesus is living in us. The, the part that says Jesus lived is, is huge and important. The part that says that he was crucified, dead, and, and rose again is hugely important. But what is most important in this day and age as a result of all of that is, is he alive in us? So as we look at the book of Philippians, we're not going to look not at historical Jesus, but at Jesus alive in us. So going forward, what we'll be looking at, last week we talked about how when he begins a work in us, he will see it through to completion. If you've missed that one, it's there available on YouTube. Today we'll be talking about humility, next week perseverance, and the week after that, peace. All of which sounds like things that we need. Uh, especially in the world today. But today, we're talking about humility. Now, there's a story that's being told out there, and this is a story of the division and hatred, as I said. But there's an even better story to be told. But there's a secret weapon that's required for it. Now, I'm just going to start with the bottom line up front. That's what we used to say, bluff, B-L-U-F, bottom line up front. Here's the secret weapon. It's humility. There, I said it. Humility. Not what you would think of. If you're a typical American, you're thinking humility. Oh, no way. Humility is where you get walked over. Humility is where you get ignored. Nobody pays attention to you. You become a doormat. Not God's humility. That, that kind of humility that we're thinking of is a human definition. It's not godly humility. There's a difference, and today we're going to explore what that difference is between how we define humility and how God defines humility. And hopefully by the time we're done together today, you will see that God's humility is powerful. It's enduring, and it's life-changing. It will change our world. But I can already hear the objections. Uh, I don't think I like that idea. It sounds wimpy. It sounds soft. 
again, stay tuned for God's humility, and then let's make our decision. So for just a moment, will you suspend all judgment on this idea and word called humility? And let's explore the scriptures together. We're going to see what God's humility is, what God's humility can do, and then how we get that humility. Let's start in with the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 2, and I'm reading verses 1 through 4. These are the words that Paul wrote to the Philippians. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. These are the words of God. They are for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. So I can already hear the objections. Uh, if I'm humble, I get run over. If I'm humble, nobody's going to listen to me and I will be taken advantage of. Why would I want to be humble? Well, let's take a look at what humility means from God's design. I found a quote that, that really helps break apart what we might think of as humility and what God might think of as humility. A quote is from Ezra Taft Benson, and it says, Pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. See, a lot of times we get humility and pride mixed up. When, when I'm proud, I have to win. When I'm proud, I have to look good. I always have to be right. I have to be right. Instead of me being able to look at a bigger picture and incorporate more resources in a broader decision-making basis, to say not who is right, but what is right. Isn't that the essence of the gospel? Another quote I found is from C.S. Lewis. He was a famous, um, actually famous atheist to start with. He did not believe in Christ. And as a result of his interactions with some famous people like J.R.R. Tolkien, that name may sound familiar from the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, uh, he became uh, a follower of Christ. He sums it up very nicely when he says this is my favorite quote regarding humility. It says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. When we approach humility from God's standard, we tend to put ourselves in second place. Now, that's a risky venture, I understand, especially if you live in a culture where ego and pride are everything, where your image and your ability to project your image is everything like it is on social media today. Being willing to take a backseat, being willing to listen to someone else, being willing to follow something that is maybe not my first choice, but is God's first choice, can sometimes be very, very challenging. I get that totally. But if we're willing to do that, it will unlock some amazing things. It might also be helpful to stop for a second and say what this godly humility is not. This, this is not groveling. This kind of humility is not coming to people and say, oh, I'm, I'm your slave. Here's a good way to say it. Bow to God, not to people. Let me say that again. Bow to God, not to people. Too often times when Christians are trying to be humble and they're trying to serve others, I see this 
essence of slavery almost come over them where they'll do anything for the people because they think that's what they're supposed to do. And, and then feelings get hurt because they get taken advantage of, or they do something for someone and someone just goes off the rails and, and totally abuses the, the friendship or the resource or, or whatever that is. Remember our goal is not to serve the person. Our goal is to serve God. Now, if God tells us to go and serve in some way, then we do that. But ultimately, we leave that in God's hands. I don't know what is going to happen as a result of that. I don't know what immediate result is going to come from an interaction with a person. But God does. And if I am in God's will, and if I am following God's direction, and I serve because I bow to God, then God will take care of that situation. But if I get myself separated from God's will and I just start serving and trying to please a person, that's where you can get into some real trouble, uh, either in, in a one-time thing or in an ongoing relationship. So remember this, bow to God, not to people. The second thing that humility is not, is, is not downplaying our strengths or, or handicapping ourselves in some way. In fact, is actually uh, causing ourselves to be our true selves. As we give everything that we have to God and God harnesses our energy, our talents, our abilities, and our experience, he can use them in far greater ways than we can even imagine. Uh, and if we will do that and, and play to our strengths within God's guidance, we'll see that our results are magnified. Not even what we can do, but what we can do. It becomes a very powerful thing. So no one's asking you to play down or to, to play dumb. You know, use all your strengths, talents, and abilities, but not for your own pride, not for your own fame. We, we use those for God's glory and God's kingdom. Finally, people uh, will insist that humility makes me invisible. Well, maybe it does. But what if that's not a bad thing? One of the prayers that I often pray is that God let Christ live in us so much that when people look at us, they don't even see us. They see Christ. I'll take invisible if that's the case. If, if Christ is so alive in me and I am so underneath his guidance that all that people can see is Christ and Bill is invisible, I consider that the greatest win of all. I consider that the kind of thing that this world needs to change from this dialogue of hatred and divisiveness into a dialogue of grace and peace. I'll take invisibility if that's what it costs because Christ will be shown. Well, that's uh, a lot to get our heads around. I, I know that. Um, but this idea of humility, when we lay aside our desires, when we make our talents, abilities, and experience available to God and God's guidance, we pool our strengths. We open up the floodgates to what is possible uh, in terms of knowledge, in terms of resources, in terms of encouragement, in terms of everything in the best possible way. Uh, it sounds like, um, you know, a panacea or a, sounds like something that is not possible. I, I get that. But I'm telling you, it, it is possible. Christ came to the earth to show us how that is possible. That's the value of the historical Jesus. The value of the Jesus in us is to actually go out to the world and show the world that this is possible. In fact, if we put what we have together and we give it to God, that magnifies God. 
I don't know if you have caught this uh, little thing in John 14, when Jesus is giving his farewell discourse, uh, chapters 14 through 17 are called the, the farewell discourse, where Jesus is preparing to say goodbye to his disciples, whether they recognize what's about to happen or not. But one of the things that he says there that I've always found curious is that uh, he makes this comment in John 14, 12 through 14. He says, you will do even greater things than I have done. And he goes on to this that point where he says that anything you ask in my name, it will be done for you. Now, I've always wondered about how would I possibly magnify God? How can I make a God who is infinite, uh, creator of the universe, even bigger? Well, or how could I do greater works than Jesus? If he said, I'm going to do greater works than him? Are you kidding me? I can't. I've never brought anybody back from death. I've never turned uh, stones into bread. I've never uh, turned water into wine. How could I do greater things than Jesus? It's not greater in terms of spectacular miracle. It's greater in terms of the number of people that we will continue to reach as Christ lives in us. It's greater in that we have more people than just 12 disciples around us as we uh, create this body of Christ that lives and moves through the world. That's the greater part. Uh, that takes us surrendering. Uh, and surrendering is not a friendly word. That takes us donating our gifts, not on a temporary basis, but giving them over to God so that God can use the gifts, the strengths, the talents, the abilities, the experience, all that we are, because it's all that he has made us. Isn't it fair just to give back to the one who gave to us first? Makes sense to me. I get that. This idea of humility, surrender, not playing dumb or playing down our strengths is a, is a hard one to grasp, but let me tell you a, a story. Back in the day before there was all this modern equipment, there was a tree stump in a field and a farmer wanted it removed. He tried and tried, but no matter how much he dug or tried to get under it or tried to pull it with uh, his team of oxen, he could not remove the tree stump. And so he put out uh, the word that whoever could remove the tree stump, he would give his prize cow to. There were four strong men that lived in the immediate area, and they each came bearing rope, bragging that they would be the one that would be able to pull the tree stump out of the field. And you would think, you know, as they try one by one, that they would realize this is an impossible task. The tree is just too deeply dug in. And so they tried. One by one, the strong men pulled and pulled and pulled and, and could not do it. And the farmer said, why don't you all work together? And, and so the strong men put one rope, uh, let's just do compass directions. One rope was facing east, one west, one north, one south, and they all began to pull because they were determined to show that whatever direction that stump came out, they were the one that made that happen. You can already see the ridiculousness of their efforts. Not only were they not going to move the tree stump, they were actually working against each other because their pride said, I want to be the one that has done this thing. If the tree stump comes in my direction, then the whole village will know that I am the strongest and the best and I will get the prize cow. There's ridiculousness. What if those four strong men had gotten together and tied their ropes and all went in the same direction. 
and all pulled in the same direction. And the tree stump would pop out of the ground. And who would get credit? All of them. The farmer would have the tree removed from his field. The strong men could divide the, the prize cow, maybe, I don't know, breed the cow, get the little cows and share them. It, this all could have a happy ending. But the point being that as long as we insist on being the one that saves the day, our efforts will be diminished, not only diminished, but may even work against each other. When it comes to God's kingdom, when it comes to grace and truth being needed in the world today, we don't have the luxury of fighting each other. We don't have the luxury of people separating themselves off so that they can get credit. We don't have that luxury because look at the world around us. It's a world that needs to hear grace and truth. And this is the time where we come together as the family, as the body of Christ, and we begin to pull in one direction. And that direction is guided by God, modeled by Christ, and is founded on grace, truth, and love. That's what it means to be humble. That's what it means to surrender. So how do we do this? What, what does that look like? Well, one of my famous sayings is always, when you read scripture, read in circles. Read a little bit before, a little bit after, a little bit before. The answer, the best example of anyone that I can think of that did this humility right is none other than Jesus Christ. And so if we just continue reading into the section that we were just reading a moment ago, we hear this. This is a continuing on in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul says this, your attitude should be the same as that of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Do you see what's happening there? As Jesus, who puts others before himself, who who takes on the form of a servant. And in one case, Jesus even himself even says, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. If that's what the living son of God says, how could we say any less? If we are believers and, and intend to be followers of Christ, remember last week we talked about it's one thing to believe and be born again. It's a whole nother thing to be a follower and continue to grow in that process. But if we intend to continue to grow in that process, then we have to do just like our leader. We have to be willing to make ourselves nothing. We have to be willing to take on the very nature of a servant. To whom? Yes, we will serve people, but we don't bow to people. We bow to God. We have to become obedient, no matter what it costs. I often marvel at what Jesus did when he went to uh, pay the this penalty for all the sins of the world. He was obedient even to death. There are no stops for Jesus when it comes to doing what the Father asks in his obedience. Uh, 
And even more so than that, not just death, it would be one thing to take on the death penalty in order to save someone if you knew it was going to be quick and painless. But this was the most excruciating death ever invented. He went above and beyond, not just the death penalty, but the most horrendous, painful, excruciating death. Can we do any less if we are to be followers of Christ? Fortunately for you and me, we probably won't be asked to die on a cross. But we might be asked to give something up. We might be asked to stop pursuing our status and start pursuing his. We might be asked to do things that while we bow to God, we're not really comfortable with what he's asking us to do. That's sacrifice. That's selflessness. That's putting others' interests in front of our own. It's seldom comfortable but it is the way forward. As we look at these words, this example of Christ, look at how he does nothing out of selfish ambition, just as the previous scripture we read said. Nothing out of selfish ambition. How many times do you think Jesus could have taken advantage of the situation? There are actual instances in the Gospels where people wanted to make him their king. He could have had everything in the world, all the power, all the glory. That was even one of the temptations that we studied in the last sermon series. But he did nothing out of selfish ambition. He instead was obedient to the Father. He did nothing that the Father didn't show him to do. He said nothing that the Father didn't say to, to say. He only did what the Father did and said what the Father told him to say. Complete obedience, even to death, even on a cross. I don't think any of us are called to that, but yet I will be the first to grumble when he asks any sacrifice of me. It doesn't even have to be close to death or death, certainly not death on a cross, but God, you want me to do what? No, 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 surely not me, or not now, or why should I? The grumbling starts and, and you get the idea. Have you ever been there? <laughs> if not, then uh, we'll talk about honesty later. But this is what uh, Jesus is able to do. Um, as, as we read these words, he is evident in every possible step of how he operates in, in accordance with those previous words of Paul. This is also how Christ is going to live in us. And just to add to the mix here, when we talk about magnifying God and really taking off and, and maximizing our energy, time, talents, experiences, look at what Proverbs 3.34 has to say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Just like those strong men in the field, if we're proud, if we're trying to make a name for ourselves, we will have opposition that is probably insurmountable. But if we will humble ourselves, give ourselves to God and his direction and his purpose, we will experience grace. We get to choose which one we want. So finally, what do I learn from Jesus, the historical Jesus, as I watched him, as I, I watch him in scripture, as I see his life lived out, as I see the things that he went through? Here are some things that, that we can learn. Jesus bowed to God, not to people. In every instance where Jesus is put in a, a bad situation, it's because of his obedience to God, what we would consider a bad situation. It's because of his obedience to God. Jesus is not one to be manipulated by people. Uh, he is not one to be taken advantage of. 
he is not concerned about what they think of him. He speaks his mind, which leads me to this idea that Jesus was not silent and he was not passive. He spoke his mind. He spoke truth, but he spoke it with grace. His most vociferous exchanges were always with the Pharisees, and that was primarily because they were the ones that were convoluting uh, the covenant that God wanted. They were the ones that were adding weight and burden to the common everyday people as they tried to understand how to live as God intended them to live. They were the ones who should have known better, but yet somehow managed to pass on this extra burden to the people who are just trying to get by. He was active against the, those who needed to be called out. Again, he spoke truth, but he also offered grace at the same time. The irony to me that if you, is that if you look at Jesus' historical life, he was never silent or passive. He, he said what needed to be said, and, and he did it unashamedly and boldly until he was captured by the Romans, or not, actually he was handed over to the Romans and asked to defend himself on the way to the cross. This is the only time that we see Jesus is as silent and, and apparently passive. I would argue that yes, Jesus was silent, but he was far from passive. He was obedient because it was at that point when God said, this is the time where you go to the cross and you pay for the sins of the world. And so that we can have this reconciliation and we can further the kingdom. We can go back to the way that I intended people to live with me. So Jesus was silent because he was obedient, but that was the only time when we see that. This humility doesn't have us bowing to people. It doesn't have us silent and passive. And this humility can be bold. I mean, think about this. Sounds like an oxymoron. I get it. But listen, Jesus was bold and humble. Like, Bill, I don't, how, how is that possible? I don't get this. He was bold in that he lived on purpose, on God's purpose. He was bold that he spoke the truth. He was bold that he didn't hold back from his talents, abilities, and experience. He let it all out. He spoke wisdom. He spoke love and he spoke grace. He spoke into difficult situations. He lived a life that probably none of us could handle today, frankly. He was extremely bold right in the face of the governing body that had the power to put him to death. He would speak truth right in the heart of Jerusalem, right in front of the Roman soldiers. He would say what needed to be said. And, and to the Pharisees, who ultimately were the architects of his miserable death on a cross. See, he was bold, and yet at the same time, he surrendered to God's will. And when God's will required him to be bold, he was bold. And when God's will required him to be silent, he was silent. But the point being, he was always surrendered to the will of God. Now, that may not look uh, appealing to you. But here's the ultimate test, if this is something that can change the world or not. Name any major religious leader and think about when was the last time I thought about him or when was or her or when was the last time their name came up in conversation? And then or any great world leader, for that matter, go throughout history and think about how often is their name mentioned? How often do I recognize that there's something that they did or said 
that affects my everyday life. Now go back and do the same thing for Jesus Christ. We still talk about him. We still think about him. We still serve him. We still pray in his name. And why is that? Because of humility. That's the bottom line. So here's the, here's the thing. I get that there's a narrative out there that is increasingly uh, angst-filled and angry. I get that there's a dialogue that is divisive and there's a lot of hatred. But that dialogue seems to be gaining momentum and anarchy seems to be winning the day. There seems to be this movement of this, this momentum that is seemingly gaining speed towards ill will and insult. Why are they getting a voice and what can we do about it? This is the part that has always baffled me because we have the greatest story ever told. We serve the greatest of leaders, the one who is the most selfless, the most caring, the most loving. He is not just a great leader. He is the great leader. He is the king of kings. This is the one that we serve. So why isn't our story the one that's winning the day? I can't help but wonder if it's because there's just one thing that's missing. And what if that one thing that's missing is our humility? And what if we would bow our knees, bow to God, and then serve people if this dialogue couldn't begin to change into something that I would be more engaged with, more at peace with, more in love with. This is all possible with the one secret weapon, our humility. Will you pray with me, please? God, give us the courage to lay down our pride. Give us the courage to lay down our ego. Give us the courage to follow wherever you lead. As we lay aside our plans, our purposes, our status, and everything that we have, I pray that you would guide us in a way that changes the dialogue of our world, of the area around us, in our schools, in our jobs, in our relationships, in every way. Change our dialogue to one that points to you, that brings your kingdom here on earth, bit by bit, as you live in and through us. And God, may we echo the words of scripture that if you, uh, if we, your people who are called by your name, will humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. Make us one, God, as only you can, to the glory of the Father, by the power of the Spirit, and in the name of the Son. Amen.